There is such a thing called conscious consciousness. In terms of consciousness. In terms of consciousness. What consciousness is. You're listening to Explain the Brain from the Mind Science Foundation. When my friend Michelle reads letters on a page, like just regular font, she sees something I don't see. Colors. A is red, B is orange, C is yellow, D is green, E is blue, but a different blue than Q. F is... Michelle has synesthesia. For her, one kind of sensory input, letters, brings up another kind of sensory experience, colors. For other people with synesthesia, music notes can bring up colors, or colors bring up smells. For Michelle, each letter has its own shade of the rainbow. People always say to me, oh, can you not tell this word's written in blue because you have weird colors over it? No, I can totally tell it's written in blue. But if it's, let's say, the letter B, in my mind's eye, it's very orange. She's been this way since she can remember. What, um, what does it actually look like? Like, I can imagine just different words have different, I mean, I've seen different colored font. Like, is that what it looks like? It's sort of like watching a movie in black and white, but someone tells you that Clark Gable's tie is red. You see it on the screen as some kind of gray or black, and you're not hallucinating when you look at him. You don't like suddenly see the TV looking red, but in your mind's eye, you can sort of picture it as red when you look at him. Here's what I think is really cool about Michelle's synesthesia. It can sometimes help me remember words. Uh, What's the synonym for this word, I think it's kind of orange. That's like a superpower. It's kind of like a superpower. (laughs) David Eagleman finds synesthesia pretty cool too. He's a neuroscientist at Baylor College of Medicine, and he thinks synesthesia can help us better understand sensory pathways in the brain. If I'm sitting here and experiencing the world one way and you're experiencing it another way, that's often very difficult for us to know that. Okay, I've spent kind of a lot of time thinking about this. Like, how do I know the yellow color I see looks the same as the yellow color you see? We have no way of actually comparing notes in a way that we would figure that out. But synesthesia, it's a, it's a difference between the way that you and I might be experiencing the world where we can actually figure that out and measure it and, and, and then chase down the neural correlates of that. They can actually figure out who has synesthesia and who doesn't. His lab has a whole series of tests for it. And then he can compare synesthetes with non-synesthetes, like compare people who see colors when they read black and white letters and those who don't. He can see what's happening differently in their brain, how different regions of the brain talk to each other. And it turns out that in synesthetes, you have essentially a slightly different network than you do in non-synesthetic control subjects. You have a little more talk between neighboring areas of your brain. So, for example, the areas involved in letters and numbers and language are right next to the areas involved in color. And so somehow it becomes a porous border across these countries and you have a lot of immigration of neurons across these countries. And then uh, and then there's some mix up of those. This kind of brain activity he's talking about, he sees it by putting people in an fMRI scanner. And this is kind of funny. He plays Sesame Street for them so he can watch their brain activity as they watch all the numbers and letters and songs. That's how he sees the extra crosstalk in the brains of synesthetes. Because we don't know how the physical stuff of the brain maps onto private subjective experience, synesthesia gives us an inroad to start finding correlates that are different in your brain and his brain and her brain and my brain. The different connections we have in our brains, that can give us a clue about why Michelle sees colors when she looks at letters, and I don't. And Eagleman hopes that can help him map out the brain connections that cause different experiences, which could help treat more problematic brain conditions. In synesthesia, something like a sound takes on a color. And so those people come to my test and we call them synesthetes. But imagine now that you had a network difference such that something like a sound 
triggered something else, not a color, but instead a feeling of pain or aversion or nausea. Well, that would lead to the sort of sensory processing disorder that we see in autism all the time. Eagleman thinks there might be some parallels between this cross-up of senses and synesthesia and the more troubling cross-up of senses that can happen in autism. So if we can figure out the pathways of synesthesia, that might help us target the more discomforting pathways in autism, like go after them physically or with drugs. I asked Michelle how she felt about that. My synesthesia, as far as I know, doesn't really help the world. It only sometimes helps me. So if studying my brain can help figure out autism, that'd be great. For Explain the Brain, I'm Audrey Quinn. And this episode, I want to give a shout out to my listeners in Mexico City. You guys are leading the pack as far as daily listens. So thank you for that. If you'd like to leave a comment on... (laughs) I won't do it. No. If you'd like to leave a comment on iTunes, please do. Or just give us a rating. It really helps us out. You can also find Explain the Brain on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the other podcasting apps. And to learn more about the Mind Science Foundation, you can go to mindscience.org. 